alive, trying to learn who he is, trying to understand what it means to live in the reality of his love for us. There's the in, and again, we spend our lives journeying together, working out what it means to be community in Christ, to love one another as Jesus loved us, to be one as he and the Father are one. These are lifelong journeys for us. And so we continue to reflect and think, and we will continue to reflect and think, what does that look like? How do we do that? And the third part of the triangle, the out part, how do we engage uh, and take the message and the ministry of reconciliation, take God's mission out to the world that is out there, that knows nothing of this. So we have this balance in, in all of our ministry, in all of who we are as individuals, as who we are as a church, what is our up, what is our in, what is our out, in the way that we engage with our world. I love that uh, there's a part in Acts 1 just before Jesus uh, goes up to heaven and uh, the disciples, it says, they gathered around him, verse 6, and they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom? The vision they had of a, of a Messiah was that he would come and restore the kingdom of Israel in, in the place uh, of Israel and, and get rid of all the enemies there. And Jesus says this to them, it's not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority. It's not for you to know when the kingdom's going to be restored, he says, but, he says, continuing that sentence, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Lord, are you going to restore the kingdom? Are you going to do that now, he says? That's not for you to know, but you are going to get power to be my witnesses in Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. If anyone's going to do the restoring of the kingdom now, Jesus says it's going to be you, with my Holy Spirit in you. You'll receive power to go and do that restoring of the kingdom that you long for. It's, I hand over, it's like Jesus hands over to them, but joins them by the Holy Spirit. And then he was gone. And God is continuing that work of restoring the kingdom. In, in, in his world, and he does it through us, the people that he's called. If you're a Christian this morning, uh, you're part of God's restoration job uh, of um, bringing his kingdom uh, to become evident on earth. I've talked before about the ministry and message of reconciliation from 2 Corinthians 5. I just remind us that when we think of what the church should be doing, the church isn't just us, the church is me. If we say, well, the church should be doing this, well, actually, we are the church. It's individual and corporate. How do I make this thing that's important to me true of the church? I make it true of me. That's how I make it true of the church. I make it true of me first. I invite God to reconcile me to himself and restore the kingdom in me. That's for each one of us so that then we can corporately take that to the world. Where are you with that this morning? Perhaps there are some this morning and all that's been going on that you feel like uh, uh, you know, you've not done that thing of reconciliation with God yet. Maybe there are some here this morning and you've seen and heard what's gone on this morning and that your heart is pumping and you're thinking, what is all this stuff? Who are these people? You can be reconciled to God in this place this morning. Just come and talk to me or one of the uh, elders or somebody that you came with that you know. 
don't miss that opportunity this morning. So we're looking at the out part of the triangle this morning. And I had a passage prepared to use this morning. And then I got in uh, to my office and read my daily reading. And that became the passage that I'm going to use this morning. Uh, So it's Psalm 113. You can turn to that in your Bibles. Uh, I've brought up a pew Bible just to remind you. We have a selection of Bibles now at the back. These Bibles, they're for you to pick up on your way in. If you don't have a Bible with you, I'd I'd love to see people with their Bibles open as we speak and as we study God's Word together. Let me remind you also, if you don't own a Bible at all, just take one of these home with you and it is now yours. You can just take one if you don't own a Bible If you do own a Bible, but you don't have this latest version of the NIV, then you can just take one of these and just give us £10. We'll cover the cost of that and enable us to buy more to give away. So anybody wants one of these, then just let someone know, give £10 and take it away. But if you don't have a Bible on your shelf anywhere, then it's free. Just take it away with you. It's your Bible. So Psalm 113, it's my daily reading in the Psalms this morning. Praise the Lord, it says. Praise the Lord, you his servants. Praise the name of the Lord. Let the name of the Lord be praised both now and forevermore. Praise the Lord. Lift him up. That's what we're here to do this morning, to worship him together. From the rising of the sun to the place where it sets, verse 3, the name of the Lord is to be praised. This God is good, he's powerful, he's almighty, he's praiseworthy, worthy of all that we can bring him. Verse 4, the Lord is exalted over all the nations, his glory above the heavens. Who is like the Lord our God, the one who sits enthroned on high, who stoops down to look on the heavens and the earth? Here's this God, exalted above all nations, his glory above the heavens, who is like the Lord our God, the one who sits enthroned on high, who stoops down to look on the heavens and the earth. This God stoops down. He raises the poor from the dust, And lifts the needy from the ash heap. He seats them with princes, with the princes of his people. He settles the childless woman in her home as a happy mother of children. Praise the Lord. Let me read those last three verses in the message. That was what I was reading this morning. He picks up the poor from out of the dirt. He rescues the wretched who have been thrown out with the trash. And he seats them among the honored guests. A place of honor among the brightest and best. Those words are powerful, aren't they? He picks up the poor from out of the dirt, rescues the wretched who've been thrown out with the trash. And he seats them among the honored guests. It's what God is up to. It's how we get to be here if you're a Christian this morning. Because God has done that. And and what we want to talk about this morning is uh, this idea of grace, of extending grace to those, to others, to particularly to people outside of our own uh, uh, gathering family here. Extending grace. So let me just tell you a story of Jesus in action doing this in John chapter 8. Jesus is teaching in the temple. And he's in the middle of of doing that. There's probably a crowd gathered around him. And the teachers of the law and the Pharisees, so the teachers of the law were those in charge of making sure everybody did what they should. Pharisees were the religious leaders. They come marching into the place. They've got a woman they've grabbed hold of, and they bring her before Jesus. 
and, the, and they say, this woman has been caught in adultery. We've caught her red-handed in the middle of something that is absolutely and utterly against God's law. And they say to him, what should we do? The law says, Jesus, that you should stone her. What do you say? Beautiful setup. Beautiful trap. What does Jesus do here? If he says, uh, no, we should let her off, then he's just ignoring the law and he's gone against the law. If he says, no, let's go out and stone her, he would, they'd never, people would never forgive him. It goes against everything that he's teaching and saying. And they stand there looking at him with this woman in front of them, with the crowd around. They say, what do you say? At this point, Jesus bends down and starts writing on the ground. We have no idea why. The, the story doesn't tell us uh, uh, what he was writing or why he did that, but it's a really interesting addition to the story. Here's this moment. Everything's set up. All eyes are on him, and he just kind of ignores them, bends down, starts doing something on the ground. So the passage says they kept asking. It kind of looks like he's not paying attention, so they kept on asking him, come on, Jesus, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? And then suddenly he gets up from whatever he was doing on the floor and he looks at them and he says this, let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. And then the passage says he goes back to his writing on the ground. Let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. You see, the men, the teachers of the law, the Pharisees, they understood two categories of people. There's sinful people like this woman here and there's righteous people like us. That's their categories. That's how they worked everything. You're either righteous or you're wicked. You're either sinful or you're good. And that was how their world was divided. So here they come before Jesus. We're the righteous ones. She's the sinful one. What are you going to do about it? And Jesus knows these are the wrong two categories. So he introduces two new categories. Sinful people who know they are sinful. And sinful people who pretend they're not. And sinful people are in no position to throw stones. So, they begin to leave, it says. Notice, the oldest leave first. The ones who perhaps aren't quite as zealous and quite uh, uh, know what's going on kind of think, okay, banker, right? Let's just kind of wander away. And off they go. And then it says this, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Picture the scene. Crowd would still be around that Jesus had been teaching. He's there. They all clear off one by one. How long it took, we don't know, but they gradually wander away. And all that's left is Jesus and the woman standing there. Everything's quiet. Everybody's looking at Jesus. And it says he straightens up again from the floor. And he says this, where are they? Has no one condemned you, he says. He says, no one, sir. He says, so neither do I. Go and leave your life of sin. Based on his own statement... About, uh, about sin and about he who is without sin. Jesus is the only one in that place who can throw a stone. He's the only one who's without sin. He's the only one who can throw a stone and he chooses not to. And that's grace. Jesus shows us what grace looks like. And he also teaches on grace. Just turn to Luke chapter 14, verse 16 to 24. Luke chapter 14, from verse 16, Jesus is telling a story. He's been in a house of a prominent Pharisee, 
uh, and he's been teaching them about places of honor and saying, don't just push yourself to the front, hang back, and then see if others invite you forward, and then you'll receive honor. He's talking about what it means to be honored and what it looks like to be honored. All those who exalt themselves, verse 11, will be humbled. Those who humble themselves will be exalted. Then he says something else about when you give a banquet, don't just invite all your mates. Go out and invite the crippled, the lame, the, blame, the blind, the poor. And you will be blessed. And then he tells this story in verse 16. A certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, come for everything is now ready. But they all began to make excuses. The first said, I've just bought a field. I need to go and see it. Excuse me. Another said, I've just bought five yoke of oxen. I'm on my way to try them out. Another said, I've just got married. I can't come. The servant came back and reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry. And ordered his servant, go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. It's really important that these are the outcasts of that society. These are the people who aren't allowed to become part of what's going on. These are the people that the Pharisees frowned on. They assumed if you were poor, if you were ill in some way, then that was the wrath of God upon you. That's how they saw things. So therefore, these are the people who God is against, who God is, doesn't want around. These people who aren't allowed even into the temple because of their illness or because of who they are. Jesus says, go out quickly and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, the lame. They do that, and then he says, he still spreads. So he says, go into the roads and country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. He picks up the poor from out of the dirt. He rescues the wretched who've been thrown out with the trash. He seats them among the honored guests, the place of honor among the brightest and best. Pharisees had two categories, the accepted and the outcasts. Those who obey the law and those who disobey it. And to be righteous, you had to separate yourself from the outcasts because they were unclean. They needed to be kept apart. And you did that by obeying the law. Their categories were about obedience or not non-obedience. Jesus reminds them, none of you are obedient. None of you are righteous. Paul in Galatians 2.21 puts it like this. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. Isn't that powerful? I do not set aside the grace of God. I do not say, well, if I just keep doing the right stuff at the right time with the right people, then I'll be okay. You don't need this grace thing. I just need to be good. So if I do that, then Christ died for nothing, he says. And we know, don't we, that obeying the laws, obeying the rules is not what it's about. And yet so often in our churches, we've demanded obedience from those who come in from outside, from those who offend our righteousness with their sinfulness. Who are we kidding? Righteousness is found through Christ alone. Later on in Galatians chapter 5, verse 1, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourself be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. You're free from that corset. Don't start going back and trying to live the right way just for the sake of pleasing God. Luke 11, Jesus talks about the teachers of the law loading people down with burdens that they can hardly carry. That's Jesus' words. Expecting them to keep the rules that we know we can't. Jesus, who was sinless, embraced the outcasts. He gave them his attention. He spent time speaking with them. He went to their house for tea. 
He loved them. And back in the day, they believed that if you touched unclean people, you became unclean. When Jesus touched unclean people, they became clean. Went the other way. He didn't condone sin at any point, but he offered the possibility of restoration, of reconciliation. And he recategorized everybody, sinful people who know they're sinful, and sinful people who pretend they're not. And simple people are in no position to break things. Jesus is the only one, and he chooses not to. He brings transformation. There's no room in Jesus' community for throwing stones. We're all too broken for that. But we've received grace, and so grace is what we have to offer. These are the words of Gordon MacDonald, a well-known Christian leader and teacher. The world can do almost anything as well or better than the church. You need not be a Christian to build houses, feed the hungry, or heal the sick. There is only one thing the world cannot do. It cannot offer grace. And yet, somehow, the world associates us, the church, with rules, with zero tolerance, with judgment, with condemnation. How have we done that with this message of grace that we carry? Over the years, Christians have behaved disgracefully. People have learned from us that they will not be accepted unless they change. Not by us and therefore not by God. But that's not true. That's not true because of grace. Remember that Jesus, the people Jesus went to, they were still in their sin. He dealt with prostitutes, not ex-prostitutes. Dealt with tax collectors not who hadn't repented yet. He dealt with a woman who'd literally just been caught in a clear act of terrible sin. For some reason, we think it's our job to make people acceptable. And this sends out the message to the world that God will not accept them as they are. Why do we think like this? We can't even make ourselves acceptable. We know that, don't we? We rely on Jesus alone to be acceptable to God. We know that a grace-based relationship is the only hope we have. The only hope for authentic life change. There is no other option. We don't change in order to get in relationship with God. We change because we're in relationship with God. And he's at work in us. We know that through our own personal experiences. That changing people, changing us is God's job, not ours. Don't know about you, but I learned that the hard way. You've probably seen or heard about this before. This idea of of the order with which we deal with the world that comes into our doors or that we relate with. That first of all, we need as they come in, well, first of all, you need to behave like we behave. You need to do the things we do and dress the way we dress and look the way we look and behave the way we behave. And then, once then, then we might let you stick around for a bit. Then hopefully, we hope at some point that you'll then make a decision to believe what we believe. And once you believe what we believe, then right, you can now belong and be part of this community. And we've got it the wrong way around. First thing we say is, you're welcome here. The first thing Jesus said, he went to them. He opened his arms to them. He said, you're welcome. Come and belong. Come and, come and be reconciled. Come and belong with this, in this community. And then as, as we invite them in, as they become part of, of, uh, of this community, as they engage with people who know Jesus and live for him, as they see the relationships that we have with one another, so they begin to believe and see Jesus and say, who is this man and how do I get to know him? 
And only then can we really expect to see life in. Why do we expect people who know nothing of Jesus and have no power of the Holy Spirit in them to, to, to change their lives? And yet somehow we do. Come. Come be a part of who we are. What does God then require of us? Well, he is our God. This church is his church. His mission is our mission. God is calling us to go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame so that his house will be full. Wherever that is based, not necessarily just in this building, but to build his kingdom. It's our mission to pick up the poor from out of the dirt. It's our mission to rescue the wretched who've been thrown out with the trash and to seat them among the honored guests, a place of honor among the brightest and best. And we honor them by welcoming them, accepting them, listening to them, and helping them. We honor them by giving them a community to which they can belong. We honor them by loving them with the love that God has poured into us. That's sometimes harder than we think, isn't it? Because they don't yet know what we know or believe what we believe. They often don't look like we really would prefer they looked. They certainly don't behave like we think they should behave. They offend our righteousness, as I said before, with their sinfulness. But we're not righteous because of anything we've done. We're not righteous because we behave slightly better than somebody else. We're righteous only because of what Jesus did on the cross. Our righteousness is in him. And you know what that means? That means it's for everybody. It means all of those people who are so far away from who we would want them to be. They don't have to improve and get better to catch us up. They just need to turn to Jesus. They just need to give their life to him. And they are righteous, as righteous as we are. And then we pray and we help them to to engage with that and live the reality of that and, and change through the years. And we're all still changing, aren't we? We're all still trying to leave sin behind wherever we can. Jesus doesn't say anybody is unacceptable. He honors them all. He says, come as you are. I accept you. And they came to him. And they followed him. And they gave their lives to him. And as they experienced his love for him, they began to change. Many in our town, in our world, who desperately need God, run from the church because we have made it clear that they are unacceptable. Time to use our greatest asset. Time to show grace. What does it look like as we pause and as we finish? What does it look like for you to show grace? Who are the people in your world that where you know you burn grace when you're with them. Grace is kind of a fuel that we burn. There are people in your world who you know every time you're with them, you are burning grace just to kind of behave as you should around them. Who are those people? What is God asking of you? What does it look like for you to continue to pour grace out to them? No matter how frustrating and painful and difficult and how much they hurt you with what they do. What does it look like to show grace? Well, how has it shown for you? Jesus laid his life for us. And so us as a church, what does it look like for us to show grace? And this is kind of what we're trying to explore right now. 
That's why we're having meetings Monday, Wednesday, and Friday this week at 2 p.m. Try and work out what does it look like for us, for this community, to show grace, to pour grace out on our town. How do we do that? How do we put ourselves in a place where we can burn this grace that God has poured into us, into the lives of others? How do we do that? And we're going to be talking about that this week. We're going to be very soon starting, beginning to do that, beginning to have uh, advertise to our community that we are here to listen, to spend time with them, to help, to get alongside them, to show them Jesus. So let's just pause. We're going to sing a final song in a moment. Just take a moment. What is God laying on your heart? What has he been saying to you since you walked in this morning? He was here before you. He's been at work through all uh, the different parts of this service. What has God put on your heart? We're not here to learn more stuff. We're here to engage with a living God. What is he asking of you? We sang a song earlier, didn't we? What, what can I give? What can I bring? Take a moment before God to ask him what he's asking of you. thank you for your grace. Thank you that we're here because you are a graceful God. We have no right to be in your presence other than because of Jesus. We have no righteousness in us apart from in him. And so we just thank you. What else can we say? What a debt we owe to you. And so we offer ourselves, Lord, because we want more people experience and know your grace for their lives. There are so many in our own town and in the villages around who are desperately in need of grace and to know your love. Lord, would you help us and direct us and guide us as we think together and journey together about what it looks like to pour your grace out on this town. We look to you, we cry out to you and say, lead us, Lord. We can have loads of good ideas, but we're wasting our time unless you lead us and you're with us. So we offer ourselves to you individually in our own situations and corporately as a body in this place at this time. Lead us, guide us, direct us, we pray. Amen. final song that we're going to sing is an Andy Flanagan song. I don't think we've sung it here before. A 